So I was 35 years old when I celebrated my first real Christmas. Um, Shirley and I both grew up in a church that actually didn't celebrate Christmas when we were kids. It was an offshoot of the Seventh-day Adventist church, um, quite fundamentalist, and in their view, Christmas was actually a Roman holiday that had been appropriated by Christians in the fourth century, and that was a bad thing. They shouldn't have done that. And so because of that, they were very focused on, on the literal words of Scripture and, and you know, kind of said, well, you know, there's, there's no, there's no you know, Christmas celebration the way we do it in Scripture. Uh, and so we grew up without that. We just didn't do that. When I came to know Jesus and realized that, that the central figure in Christianity is not the Bible, it's actually Jesus, and the Bible leads us to Jesus. And once I met Jesus, and once I knew Jesus, everything changed for me. Everything changed for me. To realize that to know Jesus and that Jesus was enough. That to have Jesus living in me, to have him as my Savior was enough. And it gave me a fresh set of eyes to look at everything. And to be able to look at my life completely differently. That was in 1995. And that December 25th morning, Shirley and I were on a journey. We were on a journey of, of coming out of a, a church steeped in legalism and coming into the full grace of Jesus Christ and just embracing that grace. And that first Christmas morning, when I knew Jesus, I, I have a hard time even putting it into words for you. I remember getting up and coming downstairs. We had a few decorations. Shirley was still a little bit, a little bit uncertain about all of this. She was coming along, but she wasn't quite at that point yet. And so we were, we were kind of just putting our toes in the water for Christmas morning. But I came downstairs, and I, and I was in our living room, and I looked out the window onto the street in front of us, and it was, everything was still. It was so quiet. We were living in Montreal at the time. You know, everything was covered in snow, but it was so silent and yet so magical all at the same time. And I remember being struck by the reality that at this very moment, the whole world had their ears wide open to the story of Jesus. And in my mind, I could hear Heaven's chorus crying out, hallelujah, hallelujah, the celebration in heaven over the coming of Jesus that was going on. And I wondered why I wasn't standing on the rooftop shouting it to the whole world, Jesus is born, don't you know that? It was such a powerful expression, such a powerful moment for me, my first Christmas. And that shouldn't have surprised me. That should not have surprised me that it was that wonderful. Because the ancient prophet Isaiah told us centuries ago that it would be that way. In that great prophecy in Isaiah 9 verse 6, for, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His name is Wonderful. He is full of wonders. And that name in the Hebrew means miraculous, marvelous, supernatural. 
Even the word itself is magical. When you define the word wonderful, a wonder is an emotion excited by what is strange and surprising, unexpected, puzzling interest, tinged with excitement. I love that. The wonder, it's, it's something that kind of takes your breath away, that makes you go, whoa, whoa, did not expect that. And Jesus is filled with this. His name is wonderful. He's filled with wonders. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see that all over the place, don't we? We see that in his birth, which we celebrate and, and anticipate through the Advent season. We see that in his actions, the miracles that he performed and the things that he did. When you look at the life of Jesus and you see that sometimes, you know, when Jesus would do something, it would stupefy his disciples or the crowd. They would be left speechless. Or the disciples, when Jesus stilled the storm, they said, who is this man? Or they fell flat on their faces and worshipped him. Because they were absolutely blown away by who this man was. His teaching. People were astounded by his teaching. They'd never heard anyone teach like that before. He taught as one with authority, they said. And his stories, he just, he had a way of looking right at you, speaking right at you. He was captivating. He was riveting. He was astounding. And they would be caught just by what he had to say. And of course, his resurrection. How unexpected was that? The fact that he would come back from the dead took all their breath away. His name is wonderful. Wonderful. And so it shouldn't surprise us. We we want this season to be a season of wonders. We were praying in the back as we were coming out. We all know that this is a busy time of year. We all know that, that there's all kinds of Things that, that take up our time, there's shopping, there's dinners, there's family events, there's, there's church events, there's work events, there's all these things that are going on that captivate our time. And sometimes we can even look at this season and say, oh, I dread it because there's just so much happening and I don't find any joy in it. And I can understand that. It can be like that. But what a shame if that's the way it is. Because there is wonder in every aspect of this season. Rachel used to talk about Christmas being a thin place, a thin space where, where the veil between heaven, sorry, this keeps falling down on me, but where the veil between heaven and earth is thin. And so it's much easier for us to actually recognize and capture the supernatural and the spiritual reality that is Jesus Christ. And in the Christmas season, that is so much easier to do. But how does wonder work? How does wonder work? Martin Luther said this. He said, God our Father has made all things depend on faith. So that whoever has faith has everything. And whoever does not have faith has nothing. Wonder works by faith. Our faith is what opens our eyes to the wonder that is around us, to the wonder that is Christ. And faith is not wishful thinking. As the author of Hebrews tells us, faith is evidentiary. Faith is substantial. Faith is something. It's a different kind of thing, but it's a very real thing. And when we, by faith, open our eyes and open our ears to what's going on around us, we can see and hear differently. And we see and hear things that otherwise we wouldn't see and hear. I love this quote, faith hears the inaudible, 
It sees the invisible, it believes the incredible, and it receives the impossible. That's what faith can do. And so maybe in this Christmas season, in order for us to to experience the wonder that is all around us, the wonder of Jesus who is is so inhabiting in this season, He's so present in this season, maybe for us to experience again the wonder of Jesus in this season, we have to stir up our faith. We have to actually reach down inside of ourselves and pull our faith up and out And say, yes, I believe. I believe. I choose to believe. I choose to see differently. I choose to hear differently. I choose to perceive differently. You see, because faith is how we exercise our spiritual senses. It's what wakes up our spiritual sight and our spiritual hearing and our spiritual touch and our spiritual taste. It's faith that wakens those things up. And brings them to life and helps them to actually work the way that they are meant to work. And in the absence of faith, those senses are dull and insensitive. But faith wakens them up, wakes them up. And so by faith, we can look around us. We can go through this season. We can experience this season. And we can experience it wonderfully. And not just in the mundane. And not just in the, in the busyness of the season and, and with all of the struggles and challenges that come with the season. We can actually experience the wonder of it. And that's what we want for you for this Advent season, to encourage. But I want to take a few minutes to talk about where is the wonder in suffering? We know that many in our congregation are grieving and going through difficult times. Donna was telling me about the Grief Share program and how well that has been received. And I'm so, gra- I'm so grateful for that. I'm so glad that so many of you have been doing that and, and you're finding that helpful and beneficial. Last Thursday, the, uh, the seminar on how to survive the holidays, it's, it's a very real challenge. For some to be celebrating this season with the, for the first time without a loved one, that's, that's incredibly difficult. And there's no minimizing that or taking that away. Or some are dealing with illness. Or some are dealing with with financial challenges and loss of jobs. And we're going through difficult times. Where is the wonder in that? Where Where is the wonderful Jesus in all of that? How do we experience the wonder even when we're suffering? I've told you before that my, um, my mom died when I was 16. And... I was a teenager, I was young, I was you know, self-centered, like most teenagers at 16 are. And I didn't really capture the depth of how bad things were. She'd been sick with cancer for almost two years. I didn't realize how close to death she was. And I made the decision that I wanted to go to summer camp that summer. And uh, I remember going into her bedroom, she was in the bed uh, just before I left for camp. And the last thing that I said to her and she said to me, and I remember her looking at me from the bed and saying, don't worry, Kevin, I'll be here when you get back. A week later when I was at camp, they came and got me, and they said, your mom's died. You have to go home. So I came home. My first time in an airplane. And I remember when I walked in the house, and I walked in the house, 
Everything was quiet. When I'd left to go to camp, some of my mom's relatives had been there visiting. There had been lots of family there. Now there was nobody, only my dad. My dad was in the living room, and he was just sitting on the couch. And I walked into the living room and said hello. And I remember this so distinctly, it's just burned into my mind. He was utterly spent. He was emotionally and physically drained, exhausted. He had nothing left. And he was just sitting there on the couch. And I remember, as we chatted, I remember sensing his vulnerability, and yet at the same time sensing that there was some powerful presence in our house that was just watching over him. I remember that our house, I had this idea in my mind that there was, there was a ring of angels around our house that were saying, absolutely no, nothing is getting in here to touch this man in his vulnerability. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know how to explain it. But it was very real to me. And I realized, in my 16-year-old in my mind, I thought, God is looking after my dad and protecting my dad. I didn't understand what it was. But it was a very real moment and a very real experience. And I've never forgotten it. Kathy Ribble um, last week texted or emailed me before she went on her, uh, her uh, holidays. We had been praying for a young guy uh, staying at Emily's house. Emily's house is a, a hospice in Toronto for, for kids who have terminal illnesses. And we'd been praying. She'd asked me to pray for a little guy named Jack for uh, quite some time. She's on the board there. And, and you know, Kathy, she's got this huge heart, especially for children, and she was so caught up in this story. And I know that Greg Potter uh, from our congregation was volunteering there. And he got to know this family really, really well. And loved this family and loved this boy. And, um, and Kathy emailed me um, last Sunday. Or actually, I guess it was uh, last week before she left. The little guy's name was Jack. And he died last Sunday morning. But I want you to listen to this. This is what Kathy sent me. And this is from uh, the staff at, the, uh, at Emily's house. And then something that the parents sent to the staff. This is an email that went to Kathy. Thanking Kathy for her care and for her prayers. Talking about Jack. says, when he came he had a few weeks left to live with a rare brain, brain cancer. But he was determined to live longer. So he did. He lived nine months more. Daily. Family spent every hour with him as if it could have been his last. And when this little guy could speak, he talked about seeing and talking with Jesus and the angels. The mother then sent this note to the staff at Emily's house. We found it so significant that Jack went to be with Jesus on the morning of his birthday. He was truly born again into his new body. And he got to have the birthday celebration in heaven, the big party he was dreaming of when he told me that Jesus would heal him. We didn't expect this to happen, and we are so heartbroken, but we have felt Jesus' love all around us, and we know that Jesus can do anything. He is even the one who raises the dead, so there is nothing impossible for him, even now. The wonder of Jesus in our suffering is his presence is his presence. 
And we can, we can perceive that. We can know that. We can experience that. We can, we can see, taste, hear, and touch that even in the midst of such terrible grief. We don't know why things happen the way that they do. We don't know why these kinds of things happen. We really don't. And some of you who are going through challenges and suffering and going through hard times, we don't know why it is. But we do know this, Jesus is with you. And if you, if you listen for it and you look for it, the wonders of who he is can be a comfort to you and can be a hope to you. Think of how encouraging that was for those parents for when their little guy was lucid to be saying, I was just talking to Jesus. His name is wonderful. And he can still take our breath away, even in the depths of the pit. I haven't been tried like some of you have been tried or are being tried. But often in my role as a pastor, when I'm walking alongside of people, I remind them of Psalm 23. That Jesus' promise wasn't that we wouldn't go through the valley of the shadow of death. His promise was that we wouldn't go through it alone. That even though we go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. He is the comforter. He is the wonderful one, even in the valley of the shadow of death. And he's there, and he's present, and he can still surprise you. In her book, Wonderstruck, Margaret Feinberg says this. She says, many say that they want to experience God, but they don't look for his majesty. They travel life's path, where we travel life's path with our hearts or with our heads down, and we don't really expect God to show up. God invites us to look up, eyes open to the wonders all around us when we encounter divine moments. Don't miss them as coincidence. Give thanks. I've been saying this for some time, that, that faith begins when we, when we recognize where God is working and we name it for what it is. And we call it out for what it is. We can be so easily dismissive and put something down to coincidence or chance or happenstance. I'm sure that people could explain that phenomena that I experienced when I came home and saw my dad after my mom had died in psychological ways or who, who knows other kinds of ways. There's always a way to speak away the presence of God. But faith doesn't do that. Faith chooses to believe. Faith chooses to recognize. Faith chooses to call it for what it is. And then faith becomes strength. We are surrounded by the wonderful Jesus. His name is wonderful. He is full of wonders. And at this time of year especially, how wonderful it is in everything that we do to be expectant, to be looking for Him, to be, to be actually expecting Him to show up. Even in the hustle and bustle of shopping, even in, the, in the, you know, the, all of the tension of a family meal or whatever it is, we should expect Jesus to show up. We should have our eyes and our ears open, and he will surprise us. He will still take our breath away. So what we're going to ask for, encourage you to do this, this Advent season is to pray every day for God to show you the wonders of his love. Um, we have these little cards that we've had made up, and they'll be available 
as you go out the door today when the ushers come, or as you go out, the ushers will have them. And it's just a little prayer based on Psalm 40 and Psalm 17. And it's something that I would encourage you to pray every morning. Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you planned for us, no one can recount to you. Show me the wonder of your great love, you who save by your right hand. You know, this can change the way we face the day. My mentor, Robin Guinness, uh, one of the first things that he did when I started uh, um, spending time with him uh, two and a half years ago was he put me on a Bible reading plan. So every morning I read a chapter of Scripture, but it's not so much that, that it's just the reading of Scripture, it's how I do it that makes such a difference. Because first I have to prepare myself to read. And so I have to get still and I have to be quiet. And there's, there's a prayer that I pray that comes out of the Psalms, which asks, and in my prayer I say, God, I'm sitting, I'm, your servant is here, I'm listening. Show me the wonders of your love in your word. And it's about preparing my heart and then reading the chapter and allowing something that God wants to say to me out of that chapter to speak to me. And I can't tell you how many times he does. It's incredible. It's incredible. That something will come off the page, and that will be my meditation. I'll journal on that, and then I'll pray about that, and God and I will have a conversation coming out of that, that reading in the morning. And I believe that it begins with me preparing myself to say, God, I'm sitting here, I'm listening, I'm open. Show me the wonders of your love from your word. And I think that's what this kind of prayer can do for you and I. It can open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to the wonders of Jesus all around us in this season, even in the midst of grief and suffering. Show us, Lord. Show us the wonders of your love. When we see that, it is so encouraging. It is so fulfilling. My prayer is that if you've been doing Christmas all your life and you are jaded and calloused and you have not experienced a wonderful Christian or Christmas in a long time, then my prayer is that this year will be your first Christmas. Your first Christmas with Jesus. With the real, wonderful Jesus. His name is wonderful. I've asked Jeff if he would play a song for us. I just invite you to listen to it and reflect upon its words uh, before we continue. I want to preface our communion today by sharing um, a reading that comes from John chapter 19. And this is actually one of the readings that I did in my devotions this week. And the thought that struck me that was one of those meditations that I, I shared with you. And I thought it would be a good way for us to lead into communion today. And it comes from John chapter 19. And this is the, uh, the story of the burial of Jesus. And it says, Later Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. 
At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Two men, what we know them from them in Scripture is that they were both powerful men, both part of the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem, and both men who secretly followed Jesus. Men who believed in Jesus, but were too afraid to come out of the shadows and publicly declare themselves as his followers. They came to see him at night. They believed in him, but not openly, only in the shadows, until this moment. Here in this moment, they show great courage and great risk. You see, they had just crucified Jesus, and no doubt the Jews would have loved to capture some of his followers and others to try to stamp out the movement And this was not a time, as we know from the other disciples who all fled, where you stood up and said, oh, I'm with him. But Joseph of Arimathea did. He went to Pilate, the Roman governor, and asked for the body of Jesus. And then he and Nicodemus, the other religious ruler who followed Jesus in secret, took the body down off of the cross Washed it. Wounds open now, dried blood, caked in dried blood, all of those terrible wounds that he had inflicted upon him. They washed off all of that. Put on the spices that they had and wrapped him in linen for burial. What must they have been thinking? What must they have been feeling as they handled the body of Jesus, now lifeless? No doubt they would have shown great care, great respect, great tenderness, great devotion to it. And how conflicted they must have felt knowing full well that even though they opposed his crucifixion, could they have done more? Could they have done more to save him? But now they were publicly out there as followers of Jesus. I can't imagine what it must have been like for them to be the ones who buried our Lord. My question to us today is this. What would it take? What would Jesus have to do to bring you and me out of the shadows? What would he have to do? What would it take for Jesus to make you and me step out into the bright sunlight and say, I'm with him. He is my Lord and I will risk all for him. I am all in for him. Are there some of us here today who are secretly following Jesus in our schools and in our workplaces, and in our neighborhoods, for fear of how we would be received by others. 
Are there some of us here who come to Jesus at night because we don't want others to really know where we're going or what we're doing? What would it take for Jesus? What would he have to do to bring you out of the shadows? For Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, it was dying on the cross. And when they saw him hanging there lifeless on the cross, they said, we can't hide any longer. We can't hide any longer. This is our Lord. And so today, as we take in this communion, if that's where you are today, would you consider, as you handle the bread and as you drink the cup, and with our senses, we're able to touch the body of Christ and taste the blood that was shed for us. Is this enough? Is this enough for you today to come out of the shadows and say, this is my Lord? And I'm all in. Let's pray. Father in heaven, our Lord Jesus is wonderful. Even in his death, he is wonderful. His last words, you know, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And into, into your hands I commend my spirit. He, he, he was such an example even in death. And then even his dead body on the cross was still transforming people's hearts. This Lord, this Jesus is powerful. He is wonderful. And as we remember his death on the cross and his resurrection with the shed blood and the broken body through this communion, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, come. Show us the wonders of your love in a brand new way. So if we are fearful and if we are secretly following you and if we are still in the shadows with our faith, Push us outward. Draw us outward. Let this be enough. May we proclaim you. May we go and tell all the world of who you are and what you have done. We ask your blessing upon the elements of communion today. And we pray that, that we would have a supernatural experience of your presence as we take in the bread and in the cup that this would actually, Lord, move our hearts and stir our faith to know that you are with us and you are wonderful. And in your name we pray. Amen.